Hi, I'm Janie. And I'm Jesse. And this is The Waiting Game. A podcast where we talk to comedians and other artists about why they decided to go all in, why they threw in the towel, or why they keep working 9 to 5 and performing 5 to 9. In other words, what am I doing with my life? On today's episode, we talk with casting director performer Henry Russell Bergstein. The thing about performing is like, you don't do it and then feel like satiated. You do it and you want to do it more. This is The Waiting Game. So here we are with Henry Bergstein. Hi. Hi, thank you so Wait, much. Wait, oh, for- technically I like it to be said Henry Russell Bergstein. I already screwed up. <laughs> I know it's stupid, but that's what I say. I mean, there's lots of reasons behind it, but I say the all three at once. Every time I do like a UCB um, audition and you step out and you say your name, they're like, say your first and last name, and I always go Henry Russell Bergstein. What's one reason there why was a time you... when I tried to get people to call me Henry Russell, like it was hyphenated, even though it isn't, and... Um, Actually, it was like a whole to-do. I mean, I um, have this job. I was in a casting assistant at Fox Television. Uh, I was in film school the summer after f- my first year of film school for grad school. Should I go on with the story? Do you sure, want to do an yes. introduction? Um, and uh, <laughs> I was interning, and the assistant quit that summer, and I applied for the job. But I was supposed to be going back to film school. Um, I was on like a scholarship at Northwestern for the beginning of film school. Um, and I got the job, so I stayed there. Jesse's falling asleep. <laughs> and I, um, I went by Henry Russell. For some reason, I was like, I'm, I made films at, at Cornell as a senior. My, they were films by Henry Russell. It was just like this thing I had done. Mm-hmm. So when I got this job at Warner Brothers, I was Henry, uh, not Warner Brothers, at Fox, I was Henry Russell. And um, my father came to visit me. We were walking on the street, and I was the assistant. And this actor came by, and they were like, "Oh, you must, Mr. Russell. You must be so proud of your son." And he was so upset because it oh, was like right. my, his, my last name is Bergstein. I don't know why I thought Jesus wouldn't hire me. No, um, <laughs> so uh, now I use all three. Okay. But for a little while, my branding was Henry Russell. I was going to be Henry Russell, partly because of yeah, I'm not going to tell that story. But I yeah. like it because I think Henry Russell sounds like a fake name. It does sound like a fake name, but that's what it was supposed to be. Or it was like supposed por- to be like, like porn name, the right? world. Yeah, of, I mean, it came from this porno that I had seen as a child, <laughs> as a I mean, as a, as a college age person. There's this video called "The World of Henri Paris" or Henry Paris. <laughs> Wait, are you serious? Yes, Henri it's a Paris. montage. It's crazy. This woman pees in a bucket at a restaurant, and uh-huh. then people are having sex at an office. And so I decided it'd be like the world of Henry Russell. Wow, because my film work dealt with like sexuality and gender through comedy. That's great. I made these cut out animations. What was the name of one of your films? Um, oh my god, what was the name of one of my films? Um, look at it. <laughs> Henry, I want to. I want to imagine it's Henry Russell's a, Look at it. What do you say? Henry Russell's Look, look at, at it. it. Right, exactly. <laughs> that was like the idea behind it. Um, yeah. I can't I'm blanking on all my films' names right now except for that one. I love it. Yeah. I just I really I can fill in the blanks on that. Great. <laughs> the, the, the like soundtrack for that was pretty much just a voice going, "Look at it, look at it, look at it." What were they and, looking at? Well, the video was like getting towards something that would pull away, and then get, it was like an experimental like VHS <laughs> oh beta wow. shit. I don't know, it was beta cam actually. But Henry yeah. Russell Truffaut. <laughs> Um, oh, I like that too. That's good, right? I think you could go with that. So we're going to open with a couple easy questions for you, Henry. <laughs> <laughs> what are you doing today? Today I am um, a casting director of film, theater, and tele- some television. Some television. 
What are you excited oh, and for? I'm, and I'm an improviser. And you're an improviser. <laughs> are there things coming up in this coming week that you're really excited about? Um, like from my from my from casting, your life, yeah, my anything, life. anything. Oh, just anything, anything. about. Well, yes. my boyfriend is coming home tonight after having been away for two weeks. This is like the longest we've been apart since we started dating. Oh, that's so nice. that's exciting. Uh huh. Um, did you like, miss him? I did. I thought I wouldn't miss him as much. I thought it'd be like, ooh, bachelorette time. Ooh. Like, <laughs> <clears throat> bachelor time, really. I don't know why I said bachelorette. I, but um, <laughs> I, and for like the first day or two, I was like, but then I missed the structure of having him around. And, uh-huh. like, I just felt like I had to go out all the time. So um, I'm glad he's back. That's nice. <laughs> I mean, he's going away again in a couple of days, but he'll be back for a few days. There you go. Bachelorette. <laughs> Crazy bachelorette. And then, yeah, no, I, I have a couple films I worked on that come out next month, but nothing this week. Oh, I, I'm excited about our ASP. Yes, we're in a Is musical. Is that what you were, were you like coding me to say? Oh, I, no, We are in an advanced study performance class. Mrs. Amber Petty presents the musical. It's so fun. Um, it's the greatest. It's a yeah. great group of people. Uh, it's musical improv on the main stage at Chelsea, which is like a real treat. It's such a treat. At UCB. At UCB, UCB, Chelsea. So when did Um, you get started with musical improv? I didn't really know it was a thing for a long time. You know, I think at some point in my casting job, I had gone to Baby Wants Candy, and I had seen that, and that was great. Mm -hmm. But I didn't think of that as musical improv, weirdly. I thought of it as like the show that they put on. I don't know why. I don't know. The idea of musical improv wasn't a thing in my head. And I did... Um, I don't know if we're cutting that out or not, but you know, I talked about my time at Fox. I went back, so I worked there for a year, and then I was like, nobody's going to pay me to make my weird experimental animated films about. Oh, sex they were animated. Gendered, yeah. So a lot of them were cut out animations. This one was the one I talked about was a bit just like a regular video. Um, so I was like, I should go back to school. So I I left Fox after that year. I went back to film school. I finished, and when I came back to school, I came back to New York rather because I was in Chicago for film school, I um, was doing a bunch of different things. Like, I didn't go right back into casting. I did some, like, I was trying to, like, maybe break into, like, development on the literary side of things or, like, reading scripts for different, like, production houses or, like, literary development at theaters. And then I was like, oh, you know, I want to try. I miss, like, performing. And someone mentioned, like, improv, UCB or whatever. And so I took a 101 class. Now, this is before our 101 class. Okay. Um... And then I took a 201 class, and it was like Paul Downs was in my 201 class, who was like one of the Broad City writers yeah, now, I think, yeah. and is sort of like a, a internet personality of sorts, I guess, and an actor. But like there were lots of people who um, weren't like just in 101 and 201 then. It wasn't at like the, the new space. It wasn't even at the like last space. It was like they had rented spaces at like Barrow Street Theater or something on like 36th Street or something. Yep. And so I was in 201, and then... I got this job working as the manager of East Coast Casting at Warner Brothers Television Studios in New York. And for whatever reason, I was like, well, I can't be a casting director and do improv. Mm-hmm. So I like quit RA201. It was RA Vlaka. I can't pronounce his last name. How do you pronounce Bukitis? it? Bukitis. Bukitis. It's actually quite simple to say, but for some reason I couldn't. <laughs> uh, it's like I quit that class that Paul was in. Um, and then I, I focused on my casting career. Uh, why did I? Why was I answering that? Well, what, what did you ask? We were me? talking about how you got started in musical improv. Oh right, so. okay. So then I left, and I was in, in working in casting, and I was not doing comedy at all. And I just how long was that time? Sorry, 
Like how no, long? I don't you... like to give out dates. Jessie. Well, no, like no, I am eternally youthful. Um, <laughs> I worked at Warner Brothers for a couple of years, and then I left there to go work in film. Um, it's a very specific thing that you do at the studio jobs in New York, and I wanted to be doing more sort of film stuff. And when not you TV. weren't performing, could you feel it? Like you wanted to be back performing? I missed a little bit. You could actually tell it in my emails. They were really long and florid and like performative, <laughs> and I would like. Uh, I would send these sort of like funny, I would send a lot more like funny, jokey emails. My instinct to perform came out more in my writing and weirdly in email because when you're in a sort of more corporate job, especially at Warner yeah. Brothers versus um, when I moved to go work with Doug and I was working at the, uh, out of the vineyard offices is where we cast everything. Um, it really came out in my emails. When I worked at the other job, I would like sing sporadically throughout the day, which <laughs> I think probably some people thought was really annoying and some people found charming because it, you know, it was like a, a little bright sunshine in their day. <laughs> One um, or the other. And so then I started doing improv again. I was like, I miss that performing muscle. I loved casting and it was creative in its own ways, but I missed a certain other exercising a certain muscle. And so I decided I should go back and take a class again at UCB, which is the only, you know, I didn't, that's the class I had experience taking. I was like, I'm going to go do that again. And so it's hard to get into those classes because it's like 101 fills up like yeah. back, you know. Now there's more of a system in place and there's more 101s, but back then it, there weren't that many 101s. I don't know. Uh, I finally got into class and we were in 101 together yeah. uh, with Brian Barrett. And uh, then I took like a 201 and then somebody was like, oh, you should check out, you know, because like UCB is so career driven I feel like or focused in some ways about like a certain path and you're aiming to get on a Harold team and you're you've got to get through and you're everyone's on a track and people are the people that keep doing it often are people who want to do comedy for a living and that didn't necessarily seem like me because I had this other job and this other life in casting and so I tried out these classes at the Magnet and while I was there I think I took Magnet 101 I discovered they had this musical improv stuff. Mm -hmm. And so I was like, oh, this is fun. And then I like fast tracked it. I took like every musical improv level they had. I think I got permission to take like their top level before I had finished the second to top level because my, I only like missed it by two weeks. And so I was like, I like fast tracked it again. And then I took that level again just because I wanted to. But um, so yeah, that's how I found out. And Sorry. you're on a house. Imp I'm at a musical team megawatt at team at the Magnet. Uh, Magnet Theater, which is their, like, musical megawatt is their musical improv night because they are big on musical improv at the Magnet Theater. So you're doing and that, and you're in the musical right now at UCB, and you have an improv class, team yeah. called Fancy, Fancy Man. Man. Yes. So between those things, do you feel like you're performing and you're scratching that itch? Um, definitely. The, like, I feel like I'm performing regularly on my musical team. Uh, I don't know. I don't think so. I don't know. Well, this is the this is the the crux, and I feel like maybe I'm the wrong guest for you guys to have because I feel like I'm like tricky because not like tricky to talk to, although I can be tricky for Jesse. But um, <laughs> because I love my other job, so it's not like you know like Jesse like needed health insurance because he's got a weird heart, and he was. <laughs> Then he discovered comedy late in life. <laughs> Janie was just like good Jesus, at social media, Henry. and she fell into this like advertising job, and that she that she was doing that all the time. And like Mike was beautiful but aimless, and then <laughs> he figured out he wanted to be a comedian. Beautiful, but but I have this other job that I do love, but I also have this very performative personality, and I miss performing. Right. Um, 
And the crazy, not crazy thing, and this is an obvious thing maybe, the um, thing about performing is like, you don't do it and then feel like satiated. You do it and you want to do it more. Right. There's like a relationship of making people laugh, of performing comedy live that feeds something that no other creative output can do. Right. Not filmmaking, not being in a film, to some extent maybe being in a play, but performing live for an audience is a certain kind of thrill that you don't, you can't sort of mimic elsewhere. Um, and specifically for comedy. Specifically for comedy. I mean, I, I'm not an actor. Like, my job is, um, you know, reading actors, auditioning actors, creatively putting actors in projects. Um, but I'm not an actor. I'm a comedy performer. I don't th consider myself an actor. I don't... What they do is, like, a different skill set. Um, some, in some ways, more difficult. In some ways, like, less difficult. I mean, comedy is its own... They're different... They're both difficult in their own ways. Um, but I don't consider myself an actor by any means. Um, and so that comedy side, I love doing it. Fancy Man doesn't perform quite as much as they used to, so that's also a thing. Um, because there is also a difference. I'm grateful to be on a house team at, at the Magnet, but it's different when you like form a team together and do your own thing and are, like, have your own unique sort of voice that comes together as a group of people that you've you sort of been curated or curated yourself mm -hmm. um, than being put in on a team with other people and performing at like an institution. I mean, I, I'm so grateful for that. I would not want to not do that. But at the same time, Fancy Man was a different kind of creation, mm -hmm. if that makes sense. Yeah. So you, have you so, always... Yeah. No, no, go ahead. No, no, you go ahead. <laughs> so you have always wanted to be a performer. You talked about going to film school. So you kind of... It seems like in your job as casting, you've always been on the other side of things, right? But in the back of your head, like, is it since you were a kid or in high school, you always wanted to be... Certainly, I was, like, a performative child. Yeah. Um, and I was in all the plays growing up. Yeah. Uh, and then I went to college. I didn't go to, like, a, a BFA kind of... I went to, like, a BA. I was a theater major. Mm -hmm. But while I was... And so I took, like, all the acting classes they had at Cornell. It wasn't, like, a huge program. It's a very nice program. Um, but I started, I found film and sort of directing there as well. And so I was more, I considered myself, I guess, you know, when I, I know it's sort of, it's tainted now. You can't really use him as a, as an example. Bill Cosby? No, God. <laughs> it's not quite that tainted. Well, maybe Jeez. it is. I don't know. <laughs> Jamie's taking it to a dark place, although. Um, I just looked around and nobody uh, laughed. <laughs> I'm like waiting for a laugh. <laughs> uh, it, but it's similar. I mean, it's, it's Woody Allen. Okay, so like, right. My films, and when I applied to film school, I think uh, I used an example of his earlier work as something that, uh, which is sort of like more of like a mashup and a, a pastiche of stuff. Like the film, Everything You Ever Wanted to Know About Sex, We're Afraid to Ask. Um, so my films are more like in that sort of sex comedy, or like John Waters. Mm -hmm. But yeah. um, they're both people who are also performative and in their stuff a lot, I guess. Mm -hmm. So there was some part of me that was still performing. But my films, I think, I mean, I don't mean to sound whatever, had like a very uniquely my voice kind of thing, even if I wasn't in them. I was sort of finding people to sort of stand in for me, although some of them I was in. Um, but by the time I left Cornell, I thought I really wanted to be on the other side of things, like directing and writing and making films. And then that's sort of when I fell into casting. I sort of did a general internship right out of school, right mm -hmm. out of Cornell at a theater, the Signature Theater in New York. Um, and I was there, and like around the late winter, 
but probably late fall, early winter, they were like, well, what do you want to do, Henry? It was sort of like a, it wasn't quite the institution that it is now. It was a smaller, bare-bones operation. So I was just everywhere as an intern. Now they have, like, departmental interns and blah, blah, blah. And they were like, what do you want to do? And I was like, I think I want to be a director. And they said, well, you should get a literary internship or a casting internship. Uh, and there were only a, one or two theaters in New York at that point that paid interns. And I had jobs outside of my internships just to make money. Um, what was my, I was I was front desk at the Atlantic Theater. Oh, yeah. um, at that point, uh, there's some famous people who were also on the front desk with me and that are like TV stars now at the time. Like we were like basically security on the old space. We'd buzz people in and, but I can't remember the most famous one now. So you'll just have to take my word for it <laughs> or ask me on the street if you listen to this podcast and are curious. But, um, <laughs> so I had all these jobs. One was a desktop publisher overnight. Like, um, I think that was then that, so like, Actually, no, that wasn't then. That was the next time I moved back to New York. But I had a lot of odd jobs. I was a personal assistant. That's what it was for this woman on the Upper East Side. And that's when I came up with my theory that when you, dr- when you ride the 456 Lexington Avenue line, you get sick much more frequently. Mm. The other lines, you don't get as sick as mm-hmm. that line. She lived in the Upper East Side. I was her assistant. She was like a donor at the Signature. And that's how I ended up getting that job. Anyway... The literary intern where I applied for a job that paid like $150 stipend a week or something and gave you like a Metro card was staying on. So I got the casting internship and that's sort of my first entree. Did you know right away casting. that you loved it? I did like it a lot. Yeah. I mean, there are, things, there are great things about casting. Um, and I just felt like what it was, like everything about it sort of I jived with. Uh, I jived. <laughs> <laughs> Um, but at the same time, I also obviously wanted to go to film school. So I applied to film school and I went. Um, so I went to film school and then, you know, had that little blip when I worked at Fox and then I left films. I finished films. I did finish film school. I defended my thesis film. Um, but you went back into casting. It? No, that wasn't the, okay. uh, when Harry met Steve or something. It was a silly title. Great. Um, was the, my thesis film. <laughs> then, uh, wait, so yeah. So you finished film school, but then you went back into casting. Well, no, I mean, I went... I, try, I dabbled in a bunch of other things. So, like, I, I was, like my Kelton, I was shorter, but I was a front desk attendant at New York Sports Club. Um, and that actually, the fitness manager noticed me, not the sales manager. And so I became a trainer. I got certified. I was a certified personal wow. trainer. I had a different body than the one you see before you today. Um, and so that, because I wanted to have a gym membership. I worked out a lot at grad school. Um, so, I mean, I did other things, but I came up with some, a lot of creative ideas, swimming and stuff. And um, that's a place that I found meditation. <laughs> this is insane. You thought my Kelton was crazy. You're I'm crazy. crazy. So I had this job, and then, but then I was also doing like literary development. So like I was reading scripts for wow. different production yeah. houses. I worked as an assistant part-time for this producer of like theater. Um, Were you happy then? I was happy, but I, but I was working a lot, like yeah. a lot. And that's... Um, and I just you you don't stop. I mean, in New York, you generally don't. You don't I think stop. even right. when you have just one job. Uh, but I had multiple jobs and jobs within the industry. But it was also like Wi-Fi was not as ubiquitous as it is today, as Jesse will tell you. Back in the day, we didn't have Wi-Fi everywhere you went. So like, I was like writing coverage on these screenplays overnight, and then like trying to find a place to email them and type them up on my old laptop. I mean, it was just like I had a clamshell laptop. Uh-huh. I'm, I mean, Imagine if we had Wi-Fi back then. It, life would have been easier. I was running around trying to get like to Kinko's 
just doesn't even exist anymore, sadly. At, at that time, did you have a goal? Like, were you just were you, like, doing all these random jobs, but you, like, in the industry, but were, did you... I don't know that I... I don't know that... Here's the thing, is I don't know that I knew what exactly what I wanted to do. I had had an incident at Northwestern. So, you know, I was being very creative. Uh, my films were wacky, to say the least, and sometimes rough. Rough hewn? Is that a, is that a phrase? Um... They were, you know, I had, I didn't, I wasn't like, on the one hand, I was sort of aesthetically inspired by people like Amodovar and John Waters, who are very highly produced visuals and stuff like that. But also it was a very handheld, I didn't like production. I didn't like standing around waiting for lighting. I didn't like finding the sound perfect, you know, like, well, maybe sound I was a little more interested in. Um, So my films were not pretty necessarily, although they were like constructed. I had an incident where I had done sort of two incidents where I ran in... Actually, the professor recently um, was in a bit of a scandal. She was at Northwestern, and she was in a bit of this, like... She wrote an article about this sexual harassment thing and blah, blah, blah. Mm -hmm. She was my um, chair at the time of my committee. And... um, Or was on my committee. I don't know if she was my chair, but she she didn't like one of my film projects. Like, she hated it and didn't get it at all. And so she sort of, like, really crushed me creatively I felt like and then there was another incident where she called me into her office and blah 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 and I was like I think I was a little bit like stunted for a moment creatively I don't want to get all downer but I did feel sort of like I was in this place where I was at school trying to learn and explore who I was and what my voice was um and then it it sort of got smacked down and I think partly that sort of made me a little unsteady that was Mm -hmm. towards the end of my filmmaking school time uh, and so then I got to New York and I wanted to try developing other people's work and like reading scripts, but I also maybe wanted to make my own, but I also was poor. Like I was actually like really poor. Um, I was living on my friend, God bless him, Scott Chronic's couch in Scott. a studio. I didn't, in his studio on like 42nd street, Woodstock towers. Um, he didn't charge me rent for like a long time. Like he's just amazing. Now he's in LA. He's the head costume designer for, um, Conan O'Brien's show. Oh, cool. Um, but he was a godsend. He went to Cornell with me. Uh, and so I didn't really know what I wanted to do. But I did. I was trying these other things. And then my old boss from Fox had, while I was at um, film school, moved to Warner Brothers Studios in New York. Uh, and so my f- uh, friend of mine had replaced me at Fox. Like uh, when I left Fox, they replaced me and they moved with her. Um, so at Fox they were the assistant but when they moved to Warner Brothers they sort of were like a level up and then there was a separate assistant and so he was moving I had been in New York for a couple of years after college and he was moving to LA to work for Warner well to work for NBC but that's a whole other story eventually he got back to Warner Brothers but um, he was moving to LA we can make a clean cut my friend was moving to LA and uh, he was I like a flow and, chart. I, and he was like Did, would you have any interest in your old job back and I was like which was my, a new job, but, you know, basically working for my old boss. And I was like, yes, she was amazing. It was an amazing opportunity. And then I, that's how I ended up back at Warner Brothers and then firmly back in casting. And that's the time when I dropped out of Ari Gukitas's 201. Got it. Um, so, and I do, and I love Kat. I mean, the thing about it is, I think of it differently than the other people you've had on okay. the show. A little bit in terms of the waiting game. I think of it, Claire Ayub recently posted on Facebook and I feel like this comparison might be a little politically wrought. Uh, she said, like, she made a joke about, like, a man 
wanting to like do a job and take a poop at the same time is like a woman wanting to work and somebody asked a woman like do you want to have a job and have a baby at the same time or whatever right and she made a comparison to the I'm messing up her joke. I just wanted to say Claire Ayub because if it's ever in transcript form, it will get more hits. But um, <laughs> but my point is, and I don't know if it's misogynist to take out the femininity of it, but I think of my job as my job and comedy as wanting to have a baby too. Uh, and I love comedy and I want to have a baby, but they're both full-time jobs. Right. Yeah. Right. right. Um, and so how do you do both? Uh and How so do I think you do I'm, both? So, so I think in some ways, a lot of the people that you've had on the show, to some extent, from what I have listened to of your podcast... You listen to like a clip, I think. <laughs> we're doing other... And what <laughs> I know about them personally. <laughs> I know what... Natasha was a teacher for yeah, years. Yeah. John Purcell worked in prisons. Yeah. Um, yep. He did some fine work in the prison system. <laughs> uh, I know what these people... I know about these people. I know what you do, Jesse, for your heart. Um, <laughs> could you stop... Jesse, you have a baboon heart. No, it's not a baboon heart. It's just somebody else's heart. Is it a baby? Please, for the love of God, Jesse. It's a beautiful story. Jesse, it's a beautiful story. It's a beautiful story for another time. (laughs) It's a fantastic Um, story. It's not weird. It's a beautiful. I have a beautiful heart. You do. Yeah. It's just not. So we're talking about Henry's goals. What are we talking about? Wait, what were we talking? I don't know what we're talking about. Are you happy being a casting director? I love. So here's the. So where these other people were like playing the waiting game. Sure. To quit, to quit, their to day like job. to support themselves, so they could do comedy not just from five to nine, but from nine to nine. Um, I love my job and wanted to find a way to do both. Right? Yes, yes. Um, and so, and I'm slightly different in that way. And in some ways, my job hurts my comedy because yeah. it hurts my ability to be fearless mm-hmm. because I sit all day judging people. Like that's what the last something something years of my life have been is sitting being like you're funny you're not funny you're talented you're not talented and now i get been to go back around after all these years of doing that and be on stage is karmic justice and also makes me a better casting director because i'm more sympathetic way more sympathetic Um, but it also as a performer has made me very self-conscious okay um so i We've gone on many tangents in this conversation already. But so, yeah, so I've, like, part of my journey as an improviser has really been trying to be less self-conscious and just go with my instincts. Yeah, yeah. um, And trust and be able to look foolish because I've, you know, so much of my judgy judgy brain has been on and it's like a muscle that I work out like it's like if somebody worked out their right side more than their left side and they sort of like hunched over that part of my body is super highly attuned yeah and even when I'm it turns in on myself so that's and then been, do you find too I'm sure your job has really long hours it's really demanding do you find you miss comedy opportunities just logistically because you can't get to a thing on time and you don't have time for it logistically I have to limit the number of things I say yes to. And I, you know, and I've, and I've recently said to like a couple of friends, like, oh, definitely use me for video stuff. If you need me, I want to do more stuff, blah, blah, blah. And then they'll call me and it'll be like, you know, at Tuesday at a one to three, they're shooting and I'm at work, you know, and some days I can get out. But if I'm busy, that's really my priority. My work is always my priority because I, I do love my job and it's given me a lot of opportunities, but I also want to be very good at it. Mm-hmm. So if I commit to something that I'm working on, I have to be, you know, when I'm in the middle of a series, then that's like, 
you're on call 24-7 really for that because shit changes all the time. You'll get a call at 1 o'clock that they want like a French-speaking person who can improvise the next day at 6 a.m. And then you'll have to get them options of French-speaking actors and then show them to them and get somebody approved and make an offer Bef- within like 12 hours or wow. less and so that in that kind of stuff you have to so you also have to decide is a job worth me taking on mm-hmm. as a casting person or do i want to like take some downtime now and focus on comedy or something so right now you're content being a casting director and doing improv and comedy like after hours right you do, your, your goal is not to like five to nine five to <laughs> If it you're, was only uh, five goal. to nine, comedy is like. But I mean, you don't nine work. to one a.m. I know, minimum. I know. Um, it's and then the trains aren't running, and the then it's running. three a.m. I mean, this is the real reason why I won't move out of Manhattan. I pretend to be a Manhattan snob, but the truth is, if I had to add that commute out of borough, I don't know how I would stay would at anything after a comedy show. By the right. time the show ends, it's already too late for bedtime because I got to be up and fresh in the morning. Right. So, am I content? I guess. Do you have like if someone offered you a comedy job, like if would like, you take that? Would you? Is there any desire to quit your casting? Directing job? a comedy show or something where you feel like you're not casting but you're doing. Or are you ever sitting there and like and you're casting a, a play or a movie really and you're like, I want to be on the other side. I want to be that person that I'm trying to put in this role. Or are you just like, I'm well, just going to be... Well, because I'm not an actor, I don't, ever, I don't usually have that. It's not like I cast like Broad City or like VH1 up all night. That was US, USA <laughs> yeah. up all night. Do you oh, remember yeah. that, Jesse? Oh, yeah, I totally yeah. remember that. Um, Jesse's old, too. Um, can you keep that in? So, no. So I don't cast, like, comedy stuff that I would ever... I've never been in this situation where, like, I want to be in that. Um, there are casting directors that are in things. Like, there's a couple of casting directors that are also actors. Um, not necessarily comedians, but, uh, but to answer your question, I don't know. I mean, I think about it sometimes because there are certain... Like, yeah, sure, if a certain jo- dream job came along, I don't know what that would be. I'm still figuring that out. Yeah. Um, I don't want to, you know, be all shorter version of Mike Kelton. But, you know, when I was a kid, I wanted to be Oprah. So I could have a talk show. I would be a late night talk show host. If somebody said Henry Russell, you could interview people. But um, that to me is a lot like casting. You meet people, you get them to come out of their shell, you get them to do their best performance. To me, that's what a talk show is. So in some ways, it's an extension of my casting director. That's interesting. That's interesting, yeah. And so in your career, like, what is making it look like? Do you have a goal that you are trying to reach? Uh, this is why I was dubious about doing this podcast but I think for me <laughs> good to know no I was just dubious because I don't really I don't really put this stuff out there I think to for me it would actually be like a world in which I was able to do all the things I wanted to do and not feel pulled between eight things so what does that mean though it doesn't mean like a certain kind of casting position that allows me to do um, that the hours work, that it's sort of, or is it, you know, is it teaching comedy and doing some light performing? I don't know. I love teaching too. I've taught some classes um, more sort of about the business of acting, but um, I like teaching and I like, I, I think about, you know, part of the reason I initially auditioned for like a Harold team is they, I, like I wanted to be, I wanted to be teaching improv at a good place. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a, an amazing casting director at Warner Brothers in LA who teaches at the Groundlings and 
um, is a part of that comedy world. I just love comedy is what it comes down to. Yeah. And so finding a balance between comedy and my casting is the ideal. I have yet to find that balance. And I don't know how that balance is really. Maybe if I had like, if I was more senior and I had a staff, but it's not like I'm one who's going to um, ever not want to know every single thing that's going on on a project I'm working on. Cause I take my job like 150% seriously. So even if I did have like two assistants and associate and like a personal assistant to handle my bills, <laughs> I still don't think I would leave the office at six to make like a six thirty spank right. or right. something, you know? Yeah. I, like to go to Spanx just to cover them for my job to see talent. But um, if I had to like be in a Spank or something, I don't know. It's sort of like it's finding that balance is the dream for me. And I don't know. I've yet to figure out a way to find it. So uh, working in casting and doing and performing and doing comedy and taking class at UCB, do you find it hard to like, are people... Well, I don't. Do they ask the you other, about being? Is it awkward? Do you ever? This is you don't really talk reason. about it. I feel like you don't yeah. really bring it up that yeah. much. This is the other reason why I was dubious about doing the podcast. I don't tend to talk about what I do. If people are, if, if it's that moment at the beginning of a class and people are like, "What do you guys do?" And maybe this is condescending or like pretentious or something, but I usually say I work in pre-production for film, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. which there is, I guess, is sort of a thing. Pre-production. There's like pre-production. So like. And most people don't like tend to unpack that or whatever, but because I do work in pre-production, I'm <laughs> right. casting before production, yeah. and it tends to be films that I work on mostly these days. Um, so I try not to publicize what I do or who mm-hmm. I am, and I'm not so important that anybody would know. It's a good thing you're doing this podcast. Although somebody the other day, yeah, I, that's why I said I wasn't going to do it, but Janie was so sweet when she asked, and I was like, I'm not going to go back on it. Um, I'm glad I just ruined your life. So... <laughs> The other day in class, um, I'm not going to say which class. It's a class that I'm sort of, I just finished maybe or am in now. Somebody said to me, um, oh, that's so funny. I went in for an EPA for you and I didn't get seen. You were probably there when you said it, maybe. Which is totally fine. What's an EPA? Um, An EPA is an equity principal audition. I think that's what it stands for. So equity actors, every equity show... Because it's a union show, you're required to do uh, audition. You're required to do a day or... Di- I mean, some theaters have different contracts. Sometimes if it's a Broadway show, you need to do like three days. Sometimes you need to do a day. If it's off-Broadway, um, where you see equity talent. So it's not people you're picking. It's just equity actors show up. They sign up on a list. And you see them do a predetermined either monologue or scene or song. So I love this person that said that. And I don't feel any ill will towards them. My point is that... And so if you're not equity, you can sign up, but you're not, you're not guaranteed a slot. So like you have to see the equity people first, and you're the, they ask you at the beginning of the day, are you seeing non-ec as well? Are you open to non-ec if there's time? And you say yeah. I mean, I say yes. Yeah. Some people don't. But I always feel like you never know where talent is going to come from. So I say yes. And so the non-ec people, they say he is seeing non-ec people. Sign up and wait. But you, it, you need to have a slot. So it's a, lot of, it's a waiting game. Ha ha ha. But it is. <laughs> So, um, <laughs> why does he want to be a comedian? He's just not funny. Um, so, I was trapped in an elevator. And, no, no. This, this, that, that's haunting you. It is, actually. I was stressed out by listening to it. Also because stressful. I wasn't invited. But, um, yeah, I think that's- 90% not invited, 10%. What a stressful situation for I him. Mean, 
why do they all get in the elevator? Too, many people. Too many people. But it's the same impulse that I'm upset for not being there. I'm not saying you could... Re- the elevator could have still broken. The same reason that I'm upset for not being there is why they all piled into the elevator together. We're sure. talking about a previous podcast. Uh, listen to the Listen to episode one. Episode one. <laughs> yeah. um, so... My point, wait, what were we talking about? We are talking oh, about being in front so of and we're behind. We're in a class. It's like the fourth week of a class. We're taking the train home. A couple of us are hanging out. We're chatting. It's a class that like, I do, I'm, I'm very comfortable in. I said I was a casting director. I was, I'm trying to be more honest and open with who I am. <laughs> I sound like a crazy person. No, no. But I didn't realize how crazy you were. I thought you had your shit together. I have my but shit that together, makes sense. but I'm just I very private. I'm it's very also private. the kind of thing, it just changes people's perception of you because you're in a room of hungry actors. Well, I also, a lot of improvisers aren't even actors. And right. A lot of the stuff that people want to be doing, I don't cast. Right. Sure. So it's not necessarily an issue. But also, like, I just don't want ever anyone to feel like they're auditioning for me in a class. Right. And so I don't want to put it out there who I am which I feel like is condescending to say, but I just don't want to add a bad energy to this. I'm just there to be an improviser and to play with people. (laughs) And so somebody on the train said, I was at an EPA and I tried to get seen by you. So they clearly had known who I was before this class. So that just feels weird to me. It's also why I've, until this last one snuck in, I never ever even like went on a, a one night stand with actors. I don't like to, I didn't like to date actors. It's part of my like, being, I don't, wouldn't want someone to be going out with me because of who I was as opposed right, to right. not that I can do anything as my boyfriend who's currently my boyfriend and an actor can tell you I've done nothing for his <laughs> career but you mentioned that you he tells I'm, me about it every night now <laughs> sorry Jesse <laughs> but you mentioned that you would go to a spank to maybe scope out some people like oh I, would go not, to, I was going a to a spank Im- is, a, is a show is like a it's like a test run at UCB for run at, yeah. when you want to run of a script it's like show. an audition for, to get your show on, on the lineup mm-hmm. or like even like Mod Night, I go. I was going to those things when I was working at Warner Brothers, especially when you're working in TV. Uh, more generally, you really are looking for comic talent a lot that might happen to be able to also do, also act. So when I was at at Warner Brothers, especially, I got invited to stand up nights. I spent a lot of nights late night at stand up shows. I went to UCB just to see performers. Um, so I would go to that anyway. Um, I like that I'm a part of the community now because you're able to get to know people beyond that one show that you see them in. Right. And you get to a better sense of what people are like. And that helps me actually as a casting director too. But again, I wouldn't, I, I'm not like judging people all the time. I'm just like sort of there to have fun because I love comedy. I mean, I'm judging you, yeah. Jesse. Yeah. Because you have somebody else's heart. <laughs> you're a beautiful person though. And I love Bethlehem, Pennsylvania. <laughs> Oh my lord! Jesse's um, grandfather was like the commissioner of police. Isn't that true? Of Bethlehem? Yeah, never got a parking ticket. <laughs> That's interesting. I yeah, I never got a parking ticket. Did you deserve them? No, I I parked properly. Also, they have a really good, fun, crazy. I love Bethlehem where Jesse's from and I want to make it a gay yeah, we I want to make it a gay destination for the summer like the new Fire Island Bethlehem, Pennsylvania or like Rehoboth Beach mm-hmm. but um, I don't know how to do it so I'd like to use this podcast as a, a place Well, let's figure out how to do that It's yeah. beautiful We've hung summer. out We've hung out there Music together. Fest Yeah, that's in August I'm Is there actually... comedy there in Bethlehem? There's a uh, Jesse, Jesse Gall Yeah is from there. That's not how you say your last name but Jesse okay. Golly Um we should open a club called Jesse Golly's. Yes. <laughs> Police and comedy. Um, 
There's actually uh, the. Are you familiar with the Steel Stacks Improv Festival? There's an improv festival. There There's, is. I only yeah. know it because of. It like somebody posted on Facebook about it. Sometime. Yeah, they do. It's I, th- I think they've done two years so far. Uh, there, so there is a, there's a, a group of guys that uh, trained at UCB and I think still come up here and, and do shows and take classes. And they started, uh, they perform there and they have a, a yearly festival there. Imagine making a gay weekend of it. Just go to that festival and then. But I want it to, to be sort of excuse me all summer long. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Like you would have a house there. I, I just want to be clear. I didn't belt because I want to be like Mike Kelton's podcast. That just sort of happened because I just had a sip of water. I feel like we should do another podcast where you sit down with Mike and work stuff out. I know. I, I like... love Mike Kelton. <laughs> I've just always wanted to be taller. Yeah. He's very tall. He's like, you know, the version of me I would have had in my head as like a 16-year-old boy. Aw. When you were 16, what did you want to do when you grew up? You want to be an actor? Oh, when I was 16, I wanted to be like an actor, singer. I wanted to be like, my dream was to sing with Barbra Streisand at some point in my life. Barry Gibb, but not quite that But do you think your 16-year-old self would be happy with where your life is now? I love my life. My only issue is time. 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 Like, there's not enough hours in the day. And then to add in a relationship, um, you know, because I know Jesse's girlfriend's not in the comedy scene, so he can talk about it. Like, my boyfriend comes to all my shows, and so, like, he's around for that. But then to, like, you need to be a part of the community. Yeah. And so... There's a social aspect to it. But it's funny. It's a blessing and a yeah. curse to like your job because... Well, that's the thing. You if, really are if lucky If I didn't like my job, I could like leave it. Right. Or like, I'm going to run out early. But have you ever decided... I mean, you were talking about not taking a gig because you want to focus on comedy. Have you thought about not taking a next career move because it would mean more time and it would mean compromising? and Or like moving to LA. Like, Have you ever thought about moves that are like, okay, well, that would affect comedy. I'm not going to take it. Weirdly... If anything, I think about not moving to L.A. because of the comedy, because I would have to start a little bit from scratch. I'm not like a house team member who's going to go to L.A. and like get on another house team right away at the UCB or whatever. Um, but, and so I feel like I'm established here somewhat in the comedy world, although I'm old and I don't stay out enough. Um, and... I'm not an A-gay, as we discussed earlier. Mm-hmm. Um, Neither am I. I'm a B-gay. So B-minus. Depends on if I do my hair before I leave the house. <laughs> but, um, so I, I just feel like I need great. to be more present. It doesn't look good today, because I went to the gym and I didn't bring my stuff. What, what, well, do you, your, what is Your Dolly it? Parton t-shirt is amazing, though. That, the t-shirt is amazing. I saw her live at Radio City Music Hall a couple oh, wow. years ago. Um, wait, so do you, uh, so she has John Lennon glasses on on your t-shirt. <laughs> She's <laughs> like John Lennon. They're pink too. They're, They're like pink. pink lens, rosy colored. Um, so right now in your life, do you feel like can I not release this podcast? <laughs> <laughs> Great. No, because no, we're going to do it for you. Um, do you think your job or comedy or, or your relationship, you're juggling all these things? Does do this one suffer more than the other? Do they suffer? Oh at all? no, my job takes priority. It always has. Right. Um, there are people who rely on me, and you know, people's projects. Are ask, want you to do the best for them. So if you're going to take something on, you have to give it like 250%. I upped that 100% from you earlier. Did. But um, <laughs> just because I want to be clear about that. But so comedy suffers, if anything. You know, there's mm-hmm. there's been a night or two where I've had a premiere of a film that I worked on where I've had to miss a megawatt show. There's been two performances that I've had to miss. And I feel really bad about... I mean, it's hard for someone who's not a comedian or not trying to be a comedian to understand when you're on a team and you have a weekly show or even a bi-weekly show 
to miss it is to let down your team in a lot of ways. Right, right. And so these two times that I've, that I've, one of them was a mis- like I had the dates crossed and one of them I knew about in advance. The one I knew about in advance, I felt a little bit better about. And people miss shows. You know, it's not like people don't miss shows. But I felt really bad that I was, like, standing up my team because I have this other thing. But I have to be a part of that screening and I have to be out there because that's, you know, getting the, you know, making myself present for my casting jobs and things like that. Um, If that makes sense. Mm -hmm. Does that make sense? So I think, if anything, the comedy suffers. The comedy suffers. Um, The dog suffer and Paul suffers. Paul's your boyfriend. Yes. Do you think, um, you know, people ever, like, do you consider what doing comedy a hobby? And do you think, or people on your teams or that are trying to do this for a living or make it uh, feel like, oh, Henry's only doing this, you know, he doesn't really want to do this? Or, well, I feel like. Do, do you ever feel that way? I think I do feel a little bit like I worry that that might be a. Um, what people think. I mean, that's partly why recently I said, you know, I started asking friends, put me in your videos or like, I'll yell at Carly. Why did you put so-and-so in your video instead of me? Um, I would have been great in that role. Uh, I worry that because I have this full-time job that I'm clearly focused on, that people don't think of me for things. Partly because I'm, as I said, except for today and after today, I'm going to pretend like I never said this and pretend like the podcast isn't online for people to access. Um, and please spell my name incorrectly so people can't Google it. But um, Henry Russell. Henry Russell. Henry Russell's, um, <laughs> Henry Russell Goldberg Truffaut. Stein. Yes. Uh, Henry Russell Truffaut. Uh, my podcast identity. Uh, I do worry that people think this is not, he's just a, hanging around because he, I mean, there are things about it that are true. Like I do, I would love to teach comedy. I would love to be doing other aspects that I think aren't people's main focus. Like, I feel like a lot of people want to be comedy performers or want to be on their own series. Um, but I, I sort of got lost in that answer. But um, I do worry that that's a perception. Mm-hmm. I don't, and I try to make myself as present. And recently I've been trying to be more active about making people know that I'd like to be considered for things. Yeah. Like doing this podcast. Which you seem to love. I'm in my uncomfortable zone. You love it. I mean, it's the only way I get to spend time with Jesse, because ever since he got that girlfriend, who's wonderful, I like her. Yeah. Um, he he abandoned us, and ever since he got on a team, he was too fancy to hang out with people who weren't on teams. That's he was not just true. like a nice, sweet, naive comedian naive. in to Box. I hear he was in the A-S-H. elevator. H. I was in the elevator. Yep, he's naked. Were you at? Oh my god, I would die if you were there. Because <laughs> you do say in the podcast with Mike, you're like, and it was Pride Weekend, and I'm like, how does Jesse know what Pride Weekend means to a homosexual? He doesn't. I don't think I said that in the podcast. You did. You were say you're, you're like you were setting up some situation for oh. him. You're like, what are you thinking? You're it's DCM. It's Pride Weekend. That's <laughs> were, you, just, were you Jesse offended? Invitation. What do you think? What was Mike? Pride Weekend? Uh, Pride I Weekend. What I, how it, I felt I about think it until this year. Thank you, Shannon O'Neill. Until this year, DCM was on Pride Weekend, and I, it wasn't like a thing. It wasn't like you re, like people. It was like it's a Pride Weekend is huge. It's like a politically important event. I know people think that we have all we need now, but it's important. Jesse, um, it's important that it continues because there are still people who I know. My friend went on a date with somebody today, not your friend, but a different person, and he like came out two years ago, and he's twenty eight. In this day and age, you think why wouldn't someone come out? And I think. That has affected my comedy too. I think 
I had my Chappelle moment, which is why I started not wanting to perform as much because I felt sort of like a gay parody that made straight people laugh. And that was one of the reasons I stopped performing and I wanted to be more of a filmmaker and director. Interesting. Is your all-gay group, it's like a safer place for you because you don't have... <laughs> we perform she for gay audiences. It's true. Fancy Man was a, like a like it was mind-shattering? Sh- mind, mind mind-shattering? Sure. I think it was... I got to give credit to Devin Ritchie. I think he really was the one who put it together initially and showed up like three hours late to our first rehearsal because he had a rough night the night before. God bless him. But um, (laughs) he is the founding fancy man. But he would love that story being shared. He's proud of that moment. He showed up for like the last 15 minutes. How long was this rehearsal? It was three hours long. He showed up for the last 15 minutes of the rehearsal and then paid for it. God love him. Um, And he made the team. And we, I mean, he made, he formed the team. And I mean, he never came that late again, but it was just really funny because it was sort of telling of well your sexuality team. isn't a thing in our musical at no, all no I don't think so yeah um, but it sort of changed my comedy I do feel like I mean when I was I don't want, I don't know the dates I meant to look them up before this podcast but you know it wasn't like Will and Grace had happened when I was a kid right um, and I feel like to some extent and I don't mean to keep talking to Mike Kelton's podcast I just happened to listen to it so um, before this so it's fresh <laughs> in my mind but when he was graduating from Michigan there weren't the kind of roles for gay people that there are today to some extent his professors who were thick headed minded something mean, they were wrong in what they assigned him to do they were right in the sense that he wasn't if he was Mike Kelton at that moment in time there was not going to be something for him necessarily that's not what's what was going to get him a job and they were thinking in that professional arena and i actually think that Jeannie was lovely to call him in for an appointment (laughs) she should have been clear about what it was in advance that was her mistake so in casting do you see now from when you started that there are more roles open to all types of people is that something you're seeing i definitely think a hundred percent i mean my office is i have worked with some really brilliant talented casting directors who i've learned from but they have always been very much about diversity in casting. And the networks and studios are catching up to where the people okay, I've cool. worked for are. That's good and I also think that there's a lot more roles for gay people that aren't like the, the gay, gay drug addict or killer on Law & Order back in the day. Um, that's where like the few gay roles were. Like The people who were like gay men in the theater who worked got TV jobs, they were like these one episodes of like Law and Order where they played like someone dying of AIDS or someone who was like a gay hustler or something. Um, Interesting. A gay hustler. Yeah. Like a gay prostitute. Why do you look at me when you say gay hustler like that, Jesse? I, no comment. (laughs) Um, So anyway, what were we talking about? The roles for people right now. Oh, so I do think that that affected my journey in comedy. I do feel like that actually did affect my journey in comedy and where I was. I feel like I maybe, not that, I don't know. I just feel like if I was maybe more confident and fearless even then, before whatever, I might have had a different, I might have stuck with comedy more, but it brought me to something else, which I love. Mm -hmm. That's cool. Is the end of that phrase. What scares you now? Are Are you fearful of anything right now? Of being bad. Mm. I think of not being funny of not being as funny as the A-gays even though I don't identify only as a gay comedian now I do think that's a thing back when so I was so in your head there's a hierarchy of A, B, C gays in comedy no but there's like you know 
the gays that sort of are like established. We'll compare rankings after the podcast. Um, there are gays that are established, and I'm not sort of in that. But I've never been an A-gay in any arena of my life. There are A-gays. They're beautiful, sculpted, um, great jobs. They have money or people who will just give them money because they're beautiful. I've never been that. I'm sort of like a nevishy Jewish guy who's <laughs> probably going to have hair, hair growing out of his ears in a few years. You know, it happens. The B people are funnier. That's what in I life. like to think. Um, but I, I do feel myself. like the A-gays so, so do you are feel, actually are you- gays that have everything. Interesting. And for some, but I think it's a great time. It's actually a great time in comedy because there are a lot. Of, so as I was saying, like Shannon O'Neill, I really, I don't know if it was her or who it was, but this year I feel like DCA, DCM really incorporated, or incorporated, I got so passionate about this, I can't speak. DCM really incorporated gay comedy this, this last year and acknowledged that it was going on during this time of Pride Weekend in a way that I felt like it never had before. Mm-hmm. Um, Shannon O'Neill is the current artistic director of UCB New York. And an amazing woman. Um, and so because she did that, uh, I felt like it, I felt that, that was also part because there's a lot more gay comedians in the scene. So in some ways that made me panic initially because I worried that my whole appeal was just that I was gay. Because I'm an older gay. I'm not quite old, but I'm not quite young. I'm just Jesse Giles. I can't size. imagine you young. <laughs> I was carefree and stupid. I was probably obnoxious. I can't imagine you at young. New York Sports Club teaching a swimming class. Oh, I didn't teach swimming. Would you just personal I, training? I was a personal trainer. I, was I like still can't imagine You just like to go swimming. I like to go swimming in grad school at Northwestern's pool, and that's where I would like mull over ideas and then sort of write them down. It's very meditative. Have like you guys gradu- swam? Do right, because you can't listen to so music. Like, you're just you. are Dustin you. Hoffman in The Graduate just like floating down in the pool. And I'm in plastics. I was actually <laughs> going to make a joke about going into plastics. I was going to do this whole thing, but I didn't do it because oh, I thought man. I wanted to be more off the cuff since we're all improvisers. Right. Right. <laughs> Henry's just staring at me right now. I know, I'm making everybody uncomfortable. I feel like I maybe came off crazy in this, no, in this interview. No, you came off great. I'm just very private, so it's weird for me to talk about myself. Uh, I prefer to talk about you. That's why I want to talk about your heart. Henry, for fuck's sake. <laughs> are you secretive about that? No, but we're ta- it's a podcast where you are the guest. I know, but I feel like you guys about- came up with this podcast for a reason, because you were talking about... So down the line, uh, you know... Janie's going to interview me, and then we'll talk about it then. Oh. Well, I would like maybe if all the panelists get to ask, all the former guests get to ask you, you a question. Submit a question to our Facebook page. Oh, that's a great idea. Okay. Yeah, Facebook. I've got a few questions. <laughs> great. I'm going to buy the other like former guests' questions from them, and we're going to just ask lots of questions. Because <laughs> it's exciting. so hard to get Jesse in a room these days. <laughs> the podcast people don't care about this. Um, you can cut it out, cut that out. Henry, are you a jealous person? Am I jealous? Yeah. In what way? Or insecure? I don't think I'm jealous. Um, I tease about Mike just because I just listened to the yeah. podcast and I love him and he's great. Um, no, I love, I mean, I'm not like, the other side of it is I'm not like any of the gay comedians that are, we're all very different, I mean, oh, yeah. which I've come yeah. to realize. My panic was that my only appeal and the only thing that was funny about me was that I was gay. And as I've been through levels of improv in different places, I realized, actually, I have a sense of humor, I think, knock on wood. Um, and is that real wood? But I don't want to make a knocking sound because we're recording. But um, 
I've realized that I actually think I am funny. But maybe you will disagree if you're listening to this podcast now. That's inspiring to hear from a casting director because I've had so many conversations with people who say, oh, I'm just the fill in the blank for my ethnicity, for my sexuality. And they feel like they're not seeing, they're not, they're not being brought in for roles that they wish they were, like how comedic and complex they are. Right. So to hear you say that, you've seen changes and that that's not true oh, anymore. Oh, no, 100%. Really it's changed a lot. Yeah. And it's not that, I mean, like a lot of people, especially in New York, I don't want to badmouth LA casting directors. They're great. I've never worked with a lot. I mean, I haven't worked with a lot of them. But especially in New York, there, there really has been for a long time people bringing diversity into the casting process. But you can audition someone. It doesn't mean they get the role. Right. Um, but I feel like on the, the other end is meeting up with that now. I feel like people... And, but to some extent, I also tell actors, you know what? Go in for whatever you're getting called in for. Don't type yourself out. Don't be like, they're only calling me in for this. I don't want to be that. Be that for how many ever auditions you have to be that until you get to your chance to really, you know, stretch and show your stuff. Because part of auditioning is just auditioning. And you don't know why someone's calling you in. You may think you're getting called in for this role, but like we're reading everyone for that role and we're actually considering you for this other thing that you just don't know about. Right. I mean, that's not what this podcast is about, but yeah, that's... But that's still very... Um, good advice. Good advice. Um, I don't think I'm like... The point is, I don't think I'm like any of the gay performers that are out there. They're all unique, hilarious voices. Like, I told you, I went out with some of them the other night and I was like, you guys are so fucking funny. Like, yeah. just to be able to be in the room with them and keeping up with them is thrilling for me to be a part of that comedy stuff. So, um, I'm not jealous. I am probably insecure. I mean, I'm... Jealous in terms of my love life, but that's a whole other thing. Um, my boyfriend would tell you I'm kind of jealous. But um, <laughs> I guess I'm insecure, but I think that's part of that whole judgy thing that I talked sure. about earlier. Um, because I do see these people who are super funny and super confident. Like, I'm not... Uh, like, I'm not, like, a totally afraid person. I'm not totally introverted or anything like that. But I am sort of shyer than you would think, especially Jesse. Um, so... I feel like I see these comedians, especially um, some of the gay comedians, and I'm so like in awe of their fearlessness and their like outgoing nature. Um, and I don't know, some of them may be just as insecure, but you don't, you can't tell on stage. But right. to me, it's just sort of very impressive, and I try to learn from that. So in that way, I guess I am a little insecure. Mm-hmm. I'm more concerned about what people think about me than I should be. Sure, I think that's true for a lot of performers. Um, do you have any other advice for people who work a day job, a real job that you have to, that's your number one priority, and also balancing comedy or another artistic endeavor at nighttime? Uh, do I have any advice? I wish I, I feel like I should because, <laughs> but I don't know that I'm doing it so well that people want to emulate what I'm doing. But um, I feel like it's important that you you know, try to do as much as you can do, but also know when too much. Mm-hmm. So, like, I took a sketch class just because I actually really think it's important that... I wish I had taken sketch earlier because I got game better once I... I understood the concept of game, which is something that they teach you at UCB more after I had gone through all four levels and was in advanced study. And then I took sketch 101, and I was like, oh, I get game now that I'm writing it out and seeing it in this weird way. Um 
but I, you know, I tried to take the sketch program and that's a lot, that's different than improv. Improv is hard, but like you don't have to prep for class necessarily. Right. Um, sketch, you have to do stuff outside of class in advance. And so I went through and I did sketch one and two and then I got to three and I was just like, I really should have taken the class at a different time because I was so busy at work that I didn't get to do the outs. I was fine to be there those three hours on a Sunday, but I wasn't doing the prep work. So I think the important thing, the one thing I would say is like, do as much as you can, but also know what's too much. And rather than do something shittily, shittily, crappily, poopily. All good. Um, All work. Do, don't do that, that third thing. Do the two really well until yeah. you have more time and then do the third thing. That That's my little piece of advice. Like yeah. advice. And maybe also come up with a middle name as like a mnemonic device for people to remember you. Is, would that be a mnemonic device? I don't know. HRB? No, Jake the Myth Smith. Oh, right, right. JTMS. The best producer on earth. He really is. And what well, a singer. Before, <laughs> and Jake, a great guy. Oh my God, Jake is... Okay, so I am a little bit jealous of Jake. I'm not going to lie to you. It's, we're talking about jealous. He is A, like straight, so you know the world is his. And he's attractive and skinny. Like toned, not like too skinny. Mm-hmm. Like good skinny. But then like just such a confident singer and performer and like just pulls this shit out of like so... 910% committed to something mm-hmm. you're just like wow like how can he just pull that out of his ass and, and he's also, nice I know I, I wish he was a little bit I wish he less was mean nice. I know that's how and then you could like hate him more yeah, but you like like him but you're also like I hate jealous of nice him like that. I don't want to be I mean jealous of him yes but I don't want people to think I want to be straight I don't want to be straight that'd be weird and gross I but um, I am jealous of him because he's such an incredible performer and hopefully he can make this podcast sound good <laughs> We'll see. All right. Henry, thanks so much. <laughs> Thank before you, Henry. We, before we uh, end the podcast, can you cast Janie and I in something? <gasps> Please, can we be on TV? Yeah. Like in a no, thi- no, no. Like, like on, an, an imaginary, imaginary thing? thing? Oh, right. no. I really want to roll. No. <laughs> I want an imaginary thing. All right, role. fine. That will work. I would cast Jesse as Yoda coming out to his family. Okay. That's a good one. <laughs> in the new Star Wars. Um, what would I cast Janie as? Hmm. This is going to be helpful information in the next phase of my career. This is really a lot. I don't know. I'm really, well, A, I don't believe that people should type themselves. I know actors always ask, they're like, what type of things you should, should I be pitching myself as? I mean, you can have like stars that you want to like emulate their careers. Um, and that's good. You know, like I want a career like this or I want to be in stuff like she's in. What about that actress from The Office? Um, Pam? I need like actress names. Not Jenna character. Fisher. Jenna Fisher. That's who I was thinking of. I could see Janie being like a Jenna Fisher type. And I'm Yoda. I get typecast as Yoda. No, I, I, like I, I, I had to be honest like with it. you. No, I, like I, I, I do. I do. Yoda's but like- I also think that Jesse, like you're an incredible comedian and performer. And you're also so like unique that you're kind of untypable, which is why I say Yoda. A, because but I'm the receptionist earlier, like, in an office. So. No, not just that. No, not that. <laughs> Listen, Jesse. Listen, Jesse. You don't have a I'm type. A green... You're beyond type. You're too funny. Jane, I wasn't you'd talking be about really her role good... in the office because, truth be told, I didn't really watch The Office. I meant her as career as an actress. Oh, I appreciate that. Yeah. And good luck with Star Thanks Wars. Thanks for Jesse. having me. Thank you for doing this. Um, I hope I wasn't too crazy. You weren't too crazy. You can never be crazy enough. Just the right degree. The Waiting Game is hosted by Janie Stoller and Jesse Galley and is produced by Jake Smith. For more information, check us out online at facebook.com slash waitinggamepodcast or follow us on Twitter at waitinggamepod.